0: The teachings of the, the Buddha are difficult to understand. I would say, impossible to understand. Period. So we'll do some walking meditation. (laughs) I used to teach with a man named Walter Kuhlbartz. He was a monk in Burma from Germany, a monk in Burma for, I think, and Thailand 25 years or so. And uh, he had a lot of courage. When Dharma talk time would come about, uh, a couple of times when we were teaching, so I, I witnessed this, he would get ready and ready, and then he'd say, No, it doesn't come tonight. We'll just walk. And people thought he was kidding, but he wasn't. He would just get up and walk out, and we would just do walking meditation. But I don't have that much courage. Uh, they're difficult to understand. The Buddha's teaching is in a profound way impossible to understand unless you get to know your own mind, unless you're willing to take a look into your own mind. Uh, You can master the words and think that you know what it's about, think that you know what emptiness is and so forth. Um, It might be worse than never having come upon upon the teachings at all uh, so that finally... Uh, these teachings are about self-knowledge, about self-knowing, about understanding ourselves. Um, the Buddha encouraged us to be a lamp unto ourselves. Finally, the only person who can set us free is ourselves. And yet there's a lot of help. And so in his teachings it's back and forth actually kind of parallel between uh, the counsel of wise people to take account of of that, of teachings that are available. And yet, finally, uh, you have to confirm those teachings in your own life. So self-knowing, I prefer that to self-knowledge because it's a verb. Knowledge implies filling up loose-leaf notebooks with all kinds of insights that you've garnered from the retreat and add them to the story of your life, uh, which has many chapters already. Knowing is very, very different. Uh, When the the self-knowing that I think is more to what the Buddha is getting at has to do with a clear, direct seeing in the moment, seeing what's going on in the moment. And it's valuable, invaluable, and precious in that moment because something grows out of that clear seeing. But but then it's not something that you have to then file away and build up a whole log and archives of insights about yourself and from those insights live, but rather to live in a fresh way all the time, to live and to learn. There's verbal learning that comes from books and talks like this, Um, and then there's uh, the learning that comes from living, <coughs> direct learning that comes from the from actually living itself. Um, clearly, both are helpful. A dharma talk like an evening like this, many of you are very very new to the dharma. Perhaps more than forty. It's really not like a lecture, although it may bear some similarity. Uh, It's not about accumulating information. It's not so much about whether you agree or disagree with what I'm about to say or what I've already just said. Uh, In the course of a retreat, a talk has a a specific purpose to move the retreat along. It's designed to be practical. Uh, It's not so much agreeing, disagreeing, or taking notes as letting it operate, letting it work on you. Maybe give the speaker the benefit of the doubt for a while. Just let those words be felt and experienced and reflected upon. Um, Self-knowledge, self-knowing, which is so central because ignorance is so central in the teachings of the Buddha. The Buddha, finally, all of our suffering comes from ignorance. Uh, not understanding. One of the meanings of ignorance is to ignore. Uh, And what we've ignored most of all, of course, is ourselves. We don't understand ourselves very well. We're looking up at the skies. We go deep into the ocean. Technology is magnificent, science. And the person who lands on the moon, who plummets, who goes deep into the ocean, People who develop these magnificent, miraculous computers and so forth—self-understanding, um, self-knowing—perhaps uh, that's lacking, and that's perhaps why our planet looks this way. We don't fully know how, we don't know how to live with each other yet. How can we live with each other if we're not fully able to live with ourselves? And so, a place, a retreat like this has to do with human flowering. It's not a pessimistic note at all, but flowering isn't all smooth sailing. You're here to flower, to free yourself of all kinds of things, to leave a lot of baggage here. Don't worry about it, IMS can handle it. And if we can't, the woods can. The woods have hurt everything. Uh, this place is, in, in this sense, a sense, a garbage disposal unit And Michael and I are sanitation engineers. (laughs) You keep hearing, letting go, letting go. What do you think you're letting go of? Stuff that's incredibly valuable? When we think of self-knowledge, one obvious way to do that, as one of my my very first Vipassana teacher put it, just sit down and take a look. If you want to know yourself, sit down and take a look. An excellent idea. And as you, those of you who are new, you're getting an understanding. that That's what we're doing here. Um, the sitting practice is uniquely uh, situated and um, it's an ingenious invention, if we can call it that, where life is so dramatically simplified that all that's left is you, with you. Meditation really is the meditator. I don't know if that's hit you yet. The meditator is meditation. There's nothing outside it. And that means the mind. You hear these sounds mediated by the mind. Your body feels a certain way, even at this moment. The mind is part of that. Thoughts are coming through, and we react. The mind's involved with that. The temperature, aroma, moods. Tell me what we see. There's the mind right in the middle of it all, doing something to that. And a retreat by simplifying things. We have a a simple life here uh, and the sitting. No telephones, no beepers, no portable whatever, phones, uh, no reading, We've taken a lot of distraction away. No TV, no films. Really even talking is, is minimal. So what's left? You're left with yourself. And right now, what may look like a drill, a technique, in, out, in, out, being mindful of breathing. Don't be fooled by that. Uh, if you come thinking that, I just want to come tell me what to do, I'll do it, and then I'll be Okay. I don't think it works that way. I think that uh, meditation uh, is very close to an art. It's comprehensive. It's a comprehensive approach to living. And it's not simply mechanically doing what you're told, including breathing in and breathing out and knowing it. After all, what's really happening when you're sitting and breathing and being aware of it? You're noticing that you're alive. Each one of us in this room, we're still alive. And there we are, sitting and breathing. And as the Buddha pointed out once to one of his close disciples in terms of how to, how to practice getting more comfortable with death, you can, in a breath, contemplate the in-and-out breath. And it becomes a death awareness meditation because our life is hanging by a breath. And so we're tending to this. Now... Attending to the breath brings enormous joy and peace. For those of you who are very new, that's more of a, a promise. But it'll happen, as it has happened to It's not mysterious, it happens. But of course you have to do the work. But if you think that self-knowing or learning how to live, that's another way of putting it, the Buddha is often likened to the great physician. Uh, to my mind, he was also a great educator an incredible teacher, an educator. Um, I'm putting it in my own words. He's saying, human race, you don't know how to live. Why is that? Why is there so much suffering? Why do you do things which come out of ignorance so much? Why Why don't you want to get to know yourself? Do you see the price that we pay for ignorance? It's not merely an academic question. Because the degree to which we don't understand ourselves, that's our actions flow from whatever your mind is like. It's that mind that interacts with other minds that are like that. And a retreat like this gives us a beautiful opportunity, in a sense, to slow the movie down, to take a look, but it's not limited to the cushion or the bench or the chair. Self-knowing, in the sense that I'm using it, can happen anywhere and everywhere. But of course, it's always going to have to do with self-awareness. Now, here we are on a retreat. And typically, on retreats, talks about daily life happen at the end of the retreat. Makes sense. You've just left what is called daily life. And you're here. And we have created a nice society, nice vegetables, We can't do much damage to each other because we're not talking to each other. Uh, Gentle instructions. Two nice guys giving the instructions. Staff is wonderful, kind. Okay. Um, So we're starting to do that. And why bring in daily life? The reason I came up here is to get away from daily life. I got wounded out there. I got wounded in relationship. I got wounded in my job. I don't like what I heard from this one and that one. I'm here to be in the country and to have trees and birds and nice people and vegetables. <laughs> and now, what is he talking about daily life? That's going to come next Saturday. Let, let's forget about all that. One way of looking at things is that that's all there. Are, there really is his daily life. Uh, You could turn this into a stage set and pretend that there's no daily life here. But I would suggest that that um, robs us of a very, very rich source of understanding. Very rich source of understanding. And so what I would like to do is talk about our retreat in a very concrete and I hope practical way. uh, from the this point of view of self-understanding and uh, to to move through some of what goes on on a retreat and I'll I'll mention my reasons they're not to take you out of here quite the contrary that to help you to be here even more fully you know uh in herbal medicine there's a uh, there are two main approaches to to the study and practice of herbs for healing uh, purposes. One is what you could call whole plant biology, where people study the whole plant. Let's say if we we're a ginkgo, you use the whole plant. You defer to the wisdom of nature. If you like God, same to me. Uh, even though you don't understand what everything does, uh, but another school, the other approach is to isolate what has been identified. Well, this is the main active factor that stimulates the brain and helps with memory. So let's just isolate that. We don't know what these other elements do. And concentrated. It's been very, in my opinion, influenced by the pharmaceutical approach. And there can be benefits that come from that. But more and more now, research is showing that the whole plant, even though we don't understand the wisdom of nature totally, we may be able to identify a few things. But finally, it seems to do things that we can't account, account for scientifically. And so let's leave it alone. Let's not try to, uh, to just isolate things so much and fragment them and break them down. And, and I, I would say Dharma is exactly the same. Um, I think, I'm, I know, Michael and I are trying to practice ourselves and teach a Dharma that's for whole people. Dharma isn't just about sitting and walking. It's a comprehensive approach to living. And if you create the illusion that everything is going to be taken care of by sitting and walking, it's just that. It's an illusion. I've not seen it work. Now, there may be individuals. I don't know everyone or the history of all of this, personally. Maybe someone breaks through at an extraordinary level by doing nothing but going inside. I actually think that could happen. Maybe a Ramana Maharshi or some great geniuses, saints, who do that. But but mostly, we have the rest of our life, which is off the cushion. And as lay people, I'm assuming most, if not everyone here is a lay person. If someone here is not, uh, I think some of this would uh, include you as well. If we don't learn how to use properly, how to practice with, what makes up the rest of our life, which is far and away more than sitting and walking, it's probably more than 99%, then how can the practice really uh, radically and profoundly change and help us flower as human beings? What I'm saying is not new. It's just in Dharma circles for thousands of years there have been different approaches and a different emphasis given to this issue. Let me give you the one that I... It's very simple and I think it's very beautiful to me. It comes from Master Sheng Yan, a, a Chinese, a contemporary Chinese meditation master. Practice should not be separated from living. And living at all times should be one's practice. Simple. It says the whole thing. This is what I'm trying to say. Uh, so here we are. <clears throat> There's a daily life here. <clears throat> it's easy to say that we're waiting until, we, until Saturday when we get back to daily life. But um, granted, here, most of our time is spent in, in silence, sitting and walking, lots of sitting, as you know. When we go home, if this practice is something that you still value and want to continue, everything turns around. We can't sit quite as much. We have families to raise, jobs to work at, schools to go through, degrees to get, and so forth. And the issues, uh, the equation changes quite a bit. And so when people come into practice, they'll often, in Cambridge, sometimes be apologetic and saying, I couldn't practice very much this week because there was a problem, my child was sick, and then uh, something happened at work, that implies Often, what it means at first is, I couldn't sit this week, so that sitting is equated with practice. That's not true, in my not so humble opinion. Uh, Before there was vipassana, there was life. Did that ever occur to you? Uh, Life is, and it seems the most obvious thing that I, I think there's a chance we could all agree on is that life is here to be lived. Is it here not to be lived? I mean, we have these arms. We, it's, the program's written out. I mean, there's a lot more. And what is living? What constitutes that? Granted, it's a big subject. Uh, so let's start with the most obvious things. We, we wake up in the morning here. Um, I can't say I remember to do this every morning. But most mornings, even if it's just a few seconds, if I don't have much time, I begin the day by just uh, inviting the body to tell me, well, how is it? I take a quick look in at the mind. If I have a little more time, it's not so quick. You can use the breathing to help or not. And I start the day consciously. And then from there, bringing mindfulness into whatever comes next. What comes next uh, might be washing up, showering and so forth, shaving, shaving. What might comes next might be dressing and and eating. Uh, Is that not practice? Are we doing that just in order to get ourselves together so we could scurry down to the hall? The perspective I'm trying to suggest is that uh, there's a whole life going on here. We're whole people and a whole life. And the reason I'm emphasizing this is because We have a safe environment here, relatively, and it's organized and set up to enable us to really get to know ourselves. How can you not learn something about yourself? Even with the breathing, in, out, in, out, in, out, you start to see the play of the mind, where it doesn't want to go, how discouraged it gets, if it isn't immediately successful. Self-knowledge is uh, hanging in every second. The small things of a day reveal so much to us if we're willing to learn and to look, the way we relate to objects, the way we dress and wash. In short, uh, to see how we actually live, actually, capitalized, italicized, not how we think we live. But so much of our life is we're doing something to get somewhere else. Here, it's a protected environment. It's very, very simple. You have your yogi job, and we'll get to that in a moment. But other than that, not much is asked of you. It's, you're here to learn about yourself, to pay attention, and to learn from what you see and hear, both externally and mainly internally. Set up for it. If you can get into the spirit of understanding that mindfulness, although it may seem like a technique, and in fact it is, at a deeper level, mindfulness is really a way of living it's not just a, a technique. And finally and profoundly, it's who we are. Awareness is who we are. But that's, we'll, we can get to that later on. And so, if you can view the day that way, even a little bit, start to, to move in that direction in a joyful way, exploration, learning. Um, how do I actually live? Not seeing all the small stuff as small stuff, but Stuff. This is whatever we encounter in that moment, that's what our life is. And that keeps being true all day long. Uh, Upandita, who's a, a Burmese uh, master who's taught here a number of times, will be teaching at the Forest Refuge in a, in a couple of months. Uh, in interviews, it's not unusual for him to ask, um, Were you mindful when you got dressed? What did you notice? Anything? Did you learn anything? Uh, so it's, it's not something I'm, it's not my thing. It's not something I'm, pre- my uh, particular preoccupation. Uh, but why do I think it's so important? It's important in any case, and it comes from the Buddha, a very simple unadorned teaching, be mindful while sitting, standing, walking, and lying down. You'll see that in, in the suttas all the time. In short, everything. Our whole day is in one of those four postures or on the way out of one and into the next. And the breath provides us with a nice metaphor, it's an ancient one, for how to live. When you exhale, you're ridding yourself of what's no longer necessary, stale air. We don't need that anymore. Uh, uh, We make room for what? For fresh air to come in. And then, in turn, that is released, making room for other fresh air. And so, the inhalation, exhalation, the whole process of respiration is not a bad metaphor for how to live the day. To do each activity, in turn, wholeheartedly. Nothing trivial. It doesn't mean straining at the neck. It can be lighthearted, playful, See, and of course, we'll fall asleep more than we'll be awake. But that's all right. That's the beginnings of learning. Learning has to start somewhere. And what you're learning is more than a technique because if you keep doing it, the dots get connected. You start to realize it isn't just about being mindful while getting dressed or mindful while taking a shower or mindful while you're uh, walking uh, into the hall. You start to realize, oh, I get it. It's a way of living which puts a tremendous emphasis on wakefulness and the willingness to learn, to be alert, to be more alive, to be be more of a full human being. And so, as lay people, it seems to me we have no choice, just to be blunt about it. It's not that I feel this is superior to monastic life or superior to going off to a cave or living in the woods. I don't. I'm not saying it's superior or inferior. It's just that this is what our life is. Our life is made up of work. I'm speaking in general now. Work, relationships, school, you know, whatever your life is. And that includes the staff here. Everyone has a life of some sort. If we don't learn how to, and we do so much of that, and relatively speaking, we don't do that much sitting, how many retreats can you go to? So that if we don't learn how to do that, the practice could become rather anemic. You could get more calm, be less stress, no question about it. Even just the breath, forget about insight, wisdom, letting go, emptiness, all those highfalutin terms you have heard about. Just in, out, in, out, in, out will bring you to some tremendous joy and peace and help you improve your life, no question about it. But the practice is designed to be much more than that. In order to do it, uh, we have to take a hard look or just a look. How do we actually live our life? And for the most part, we're not on the cushion. Now, I don't think what I'm about to say is inconsistent with what the Buddha was saying. But in our case, uh, it seems inescapable that unless we learn how to use money, There are energies. The monastic journey, this is not the monastic journey, which has its own beauty, and it's a brilliant strategy to help people get free. Some of you have lived in those settings. I have. Um, There's a realistic fear of beauty, of sex, of relationship, of money, of food. Why? Well, because... If you look around, most of the human race doesn't know what to do with that energy. We're either suffering because we have too much money, not enough money, too much sex, not enough sex, too much food, not enough food. It goes on. We don't know how to use the basic energies. Okay, this is crazy. Let's just limit that, pull back, because it seems to be very, very difficult to learn how to do, and let's just go off to a cave, a forest, a monastery, and organize a life that protects us to some degree and go deeply inside and get free. That's a perfectly wonderful strategy. It's not the only one in spiritual life. There are other traditions where daily life uh, is considered a prerequisite for spiritual growth. But that's that one. But as I look around, we're not doing that. So I, that's helpful for people who are committed to it. We have to learn how to use the energy of money, the energy of sex, the energy of food. We, we have to learn how to uh, be in the world in ways that don't undercut our hard work on retreats like this. I mean, if you're on the path with any degree of commitment. If we don't learn how to take care of our lives from moment to moment, then it beca- can become rather split, rather fragmented, where uh, we go out there, so-called daily life out there, and that's where people are mean and stupid and they eat beef and, uh, you know, they kill each other. It's dangerous out there. And so we save up our money and we come running here to a retreat. Whew, got away from all those lunatics, Thank God. Even seven days. Great. There's something special about a retreat and about sitting. There's something that you can accomplish in a simplified, protected environment. I'm all for it. A lot of my life is spent doing it, both as a practitioner and as someone who's uh, helping with retreats and, and, and teaching. But you soon go back, and most of your time is out there, and it's not, in principle, different than sitting. If you get, it's a matter of attitude. I, I've tried to figure this out, and I can't say that I've solved this. I've had, been <clears throat> practicing for quite a while and have many friends, some of whom have gone very, very deeply in different Buddhist traditions. Really, there's no question about it. I've practiced with them. I know some of their teachers. They've done, and yet daily life is a mess, a nightmare. How could that be? How could you have attained a certain what is called enlightenment, and yet not be able to be with people in some way that doesn't hurt, isn't so harmful? Is that what we want? I don't want that. Uh, we become hothouse plants. The only time we can be happy is when we're in special environments. Granted, we may have come here because we've gotten hurt in the world. And that's the best motive for starting practice since the time of the Buddha. The Buddha's first noble truth, there is suffering in life. Who can deny that? It's not saying that's all there is. It's the door to liberation if you know how to walk through it. And the only way to walk through it is you have to see your suffering. And... That's, to me, realistic. It's not pessimistic or other things Buddhism's been accused of. Um, So there's no question that it's difficult to be a human being. It's hard to live a life of kindness and integrity, and uh, we're all in this together. I, I don't think I have to say much more about that. And so these opportunities to work on ourselves in concentrated ways are very, very precious, and maybe we crawled into here. Sometimes it reminds me, I was in the medical corps, in the army, and you have uh, field tents. Let's say people get wounded in combat, and you're not so close to a major hospital. So you go into these, these are field tents set up in not too far from, the, from where battle is going on, and you crawl in, and then you get fixed up, And like in MASH, you know, if you've seen it. So you think you're going to now get out of it, but they just send you out the other way. You come in one thing, get fixed up, and then you go out the other way and you're back in combat. That's not what you had in mind. That's what we're doing here. I'm not sending you back. We have to go back. Okay, let's keep moving. The day starts unfolding. Sitting and walking. Look, it's no wonder that we tend to um, turn daily life practice into a cliche when those of you who are new, you walk into a setting like this, and there's so many others all over the world. and what do you see? do you see Do you see the Buddha vacuuming? Do you see the Buddha making love? Do you see the Buddha cradling a child? Of course not. He's sitting now and then we allow him to walk or to stand. Or a famous talk he gave before dying. Uh, And so, and look, we're here, the teaching, this is it. The Buddha attained enlightenment under the Bodhi tree. There's no question about the beauty and power of that. But it can deflect attention from merely most of the rest of your life. So how can we disregard that and expect some profound change to come out of meditation? I haven't seen that work personally. And so the very areas that maybe got us here because we got wounded there, can we start to heal up? Sitting will help you heal. Retreats help you heal. Uh, A nice community of loving people can help us heal, of course. Um, A yogi job. Maybe your relationship to your job is not so hot and suddenly you have a job here and maybe it's um, doing... Uh, cleaning pots. And I didn't come up here to clean pots, for God's sake. I work hard all week. I paid my good cash. I just want to sit and walk. Give it to someone else. Nope, you're on pots. I hate it. Okay, great. Because that gives you an opportunity to liberate yourself. In this sense, everything that's happening on this retreat is here to liberate you, but only if you if you... Use it that way. And so whatever your job, whether you hate it or bored with it, you see it's below you, above you, equal to you. I, they, people get all kinds of uh, trips about their work. It's too dirty. I don't go into toil. I don't do toilets. No, we had some. We had a, uh, uh, an oral surgeon about three or four years ago. And uh, the office tells me, uh, we, you know, we assign these. Unless you have a medical reason, just you know, whatever you get. And his was cleaning toilets. He refused. Said, I've forgotten what something. I'm a periodontist. I don't do toilets. <laughs> 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 okay. So uh, the, the office, of course, they finally send it, send him up to me, and I talk to him. And he says, Look, uh, I'm. I have two advanced degrees in surgery. I I not I've a lot of tension in my life. I'm not here to clean toilets. I want to learn what meditation is. I'm saying, but well, this is part of the curriculum. <laughs> it, it's not optional. He thought I was kidding, and he says, "You got to be kidding." I said, "No, I really am not," because he says, you could probably learn a lot from if you're willing to to do it and see what it brings up. you. he wouldn't do it. And finally, it was kind of a chicken thing where he just said. Okay, I'm going home. And I did feel, uh, I wavered inside. I could feel it. I didn't want him to go home. He's here to practice. I want him to practice. I said, okay. I knew I had to stick to this one. And he said, really? I said, yes. Uh, This is what we, we, this is your job. I can't give it to someone else. You're able-bodied. And it looks like it could be very rich for you to learn. (laughs) Learn from and so he said i'm going home i said okay i'm sorry but that's the way it is he didn't go home uh he stayed and at the end of the retreat he apologized uh he said i learned some things about myself that were ugly uh i had all kinds of images that i've created through becoming a successful professional person and and uh when as soon as i got into the toilet it was just you know shattered and broken into pieces you know uh and then just to the practice it's not that something special is needed. It's just you, you're learning about yourself. That, that's a, there's a teaching right there if you want it. The teaching's everywhere. Life is doing the teaching, it's unrelenting. Uh, all it asks for is some students. The curriculum's all set. And the practice is equipping us to do that. We're learning how to be steadier, we're learning how to be more clear. Uh, We're learning how to work with discomfort and aversion, as this dentist did. That's valuable. Now, don't you think those skills are useful to take home? Doesn't it come up when we go home? And so whatever your yogi job, what I would suggest is give yourself over to it, no matter what it is. Uh, What you'll find, probably if you're like myself... And others who've done this is that uh, there'll be some separation from it. The mind will start thinking about something else, because what we're suggesting is to take it on wholeheartedly as a practice, much as you would if you were in the meditation hall. And so, if you're vacuuming and your mind is on uh, skiing somewhere, it's not to get involved in a war with yourself. Just see it. The thoughts are just about that. Separated you. You're not. Fully alive in a way, the body is vacuuming and the mind is on the slope somewhere. But as soon as you see it, it tends to weaken and fall away, and then it's it's just vacuum mind, just vacuum cleaner mind, just doing that. And then once again, you get distracted. It's not so different than what Michael and I have been saying all along regarding the breath, walking, and and we'll we'll move on. And so take it on, take it all as as a, as a learning, as a training, as an opportunity to learn something about yourself. Everything that you do, just it's... Um, I don't know, to me it's interesting. You know, there's learning from books and from uh, external learnings. Uh, and this is also learning, but it's internal. A lot of it is internal. You're learning about self-knowing, to begin with, is the ordinary self, which you could call ego. The Dharma doesn't end there. but. Our ordinary life needs to be tended to. The precepts in the Buddha's teaching ought to help us do that. But if you think that's lower and get oriented, well, I just want enlightenment, I don't want to bother about that, you'll have no foundation. There's an Arab saying that gets right to the point. Pray to God, but tie up your camel at night. So it's not one versus the other. Uh, if you can kind of uh, get into the rhythm and enjoy it, school ends and degrees end, thank, thankfully, right? You wouldn't want to have to do that forever. But learning doesn't. And if you read what the Buddha is talking about, learning goes on right till the end, learning how to die, learning how if, if illness comes, if a, the aging process. All of that is embraced. All of that is received as life. We learn to love life, not as some fanciful romantic ideal, but as an actuality from moment to moment. This, just this, that's happening to us right here. Just my little yogi job. Uh, Just giving ourselves over to that. Uh, Eating, similarly. We eat so much to be learned. Take a fresh look. How do you eat? Why do you pick this and not that? Why do you take so much and not that? Uh, What's going on? What does it feel like when you eat? What is your mind? Delicious, it tastes great, but while you're uh, you're doing that, you're hardly tasting it because your mind is somewhere else. Begin to learn about that. Learn about desire. Not to become desireless, but to begin to see the, uh, there's a a very beautiful uh, Zen text from the third Zen uh, ancestor. Uh, And it goes, uh, the first few lines are something like, um, the great way, that's the path, the great way is not difficult for those who, who who don't have addiction to their preferences. You can have preferences, you can prefer tomatoes over potatoes. That's not the point, but it's when we get Rigid, obsessed with things, being a certain way, and they're not. And so a retreat is just a slice of life. There's a daily life here. And, well, at least there's no relationship here. That's safe. That's not true. Come on, you know that is what's going on in your head. (laughs) No relationship here? Yeah, we're right. we pack all of us here. We walk together, eat together here. Oh yeah, no, I'm just in this uh, atomized bubble. Yeah, we're not talking to each other, but we're reacting to each other. Nice, I like that. Yeah, dresses. Not what? Two socks don't match, different color. <laughs> you know. Look at how much food that person took. That's for an army, for God's sake. <laughs> I think I'd like to marry that one, <laughs> and then by the half, midway point of the retreat, you're ready for the divorce <laughs> maybe in a group you hear them speak, and that isn't who you thought they were because your mind made up what you wanted to wa wow, 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 wow. <laughs> so we're here together, and then there's you know your relationship to us and to the staff um there's talking sometimes when they're when there discussions. Uh, in short, see if you can fully enter the life of the retreat. It's like a small town here, small town USA, a little group of villagers thrown together for a week. Uh, all of us, in one sense, have a fundamental, there's unity in what we would like. We're here because we would like, I think, to be happier, to be more sane, to not hurt as much, to not hurt others. To become wiser, I think everyone's here. You know, the verbal motives may differ somewhat. No, I'm not instant, in that. Just stress reduction, fine. It's all—it's all the same. I mean, we're, we're all these just words about uh, us all trying to improve our our stay on this strange planet, to understand ourselves, uh, and that's the key to the Buddha's teaching: is to understand yourself and. Each one of us must do it by ourselves, for ourselves. There is help. It's been going on for a few thousand years. Started in India, it's still alive and well. But uh, even the Buddha, the Buddha, I'll just end off tonight. Says all the Buddhas do is is point the way. Each one of us has to walk the path ourselves. Or in the Zen tradition. The teachings are like a finger pointing to the moon. The finger is pointing to the moon. Don't get fixated on the finger. Look, it's helping you look at the moon. The moon is here. Actually, I received a, something in the mail from a friend, which sums a lot up. It's a kind of a, a humorous card. And it has two very intent bird watchers with binoculars, clearly looking for birds up there. And their posture is strained. They're just trying so hard to see birds. And there's a beautiful bird right there, right in front. But it's not up there. It's right here. And the bird's are looking up at them. <laughs> uh, they're not looking, looking in the right place. Okay. With the Buddha saying, you know where the right place is. Even as you're engaged in an action, you have a reaction to people and events and temperature and lighting and, you know, all of it. Um, The the retreat is much more rich when we take it on as a way, a full way of living. Then when we go home, it's not so much a matter of integrating this and that, sort of, we make them so separate. This is dharma, that's daily life, and then we have to stitch them together. What if we don't tear them apart in the first place? Let's listen to Shang-Yan again. Practice should not be separated from living, and living at all times should be one's practice. Beautifully and simply put.